0: Welcome to Queer Tools. Today's show, the 2009 Downturn Annual Resume Update. Here we go. Last year, we delivered our first annual update to our resume guidance, and our right. purpose then was to highlight the hiring market is. Always changing, as you yes. want to do. And,
1: yeah. <laughs> and resumes must be able to change with the market, we know. Which, which I think would surprise some people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The, the market's changing, so therefore you would advertise differently, you would sell differently, and so on. But people think, oh, resume's just a resume. But no, not really. Right. So, today's cast,
0: unless you meet the Neil Armstrong test and its corollary, this cast is designed to help you update your resume
1: to make it trenchant. And if you're wondering what the Neil Armstrong uh, test is, it's simple. If you can put on your resume the greatest resume bullet of all time which is first man to walk on the moon um then unfortunately if you could put that on your resume you don't need a resume right right. (laughs) um but but if you can't then uh this cast is really designed to help you and and we've got four points that we want to cover and we're going to do something i think this is a first for us mike we're going to admit to recovering some old ground But our first point is your we're going to recover the concept that your resume is a living career management document. And we've got some points we want to make there. And we touched on this last year in part because if I remember right, I did not feel we did a good job of describing the whole concept of the career management document when we first did the Your Resume Stinks cast, what, four or five years ago. So we want to cover that again, and we're going to continue to cover that every year because we have new people joining us all the time, and, and this is one of those things that's really, really important. And then we're going to recommend three things that you be looking at on your resume that you add to your quarterly reviews, and they're very simple. They are, you've got to be able to show that you cut costs um, because costs are never controlled, as Peter Drucker tells us. The only thing you can do is cut them on a regular basis, so you've got to be able to show you cut costs. You've got to be able to show that you managed your budget pro- professionally. By the way, for each of these three areas, we're going to make give you examples that would be good examples um, that you could include in your resume that will help you Go back through your background in the last three months or six months or nine months in a year and find those things so you can update your resume for the the market that we have today. And lastly, our fourth point, but our our fourth bullet, but our third uh, recommendation for change or updating on your resume is to show productivity increases. And productivity is always the weak sister of of, uh, resumes, very frustrating Far too few managers understand the value of productivity improvements.
0: Right. Now, now, are these things also possible? And we have a lot of people listening to career tools that are, are not managers. Are, do these things apply to non-managers oh, of course. as well? Oh,
1: well, sure. Sure. You can cut costs as an individual contributor. Uh, if you don't have a budget, obviously, that's harder. That's That tends to be more for managers, but we have a lot of managers listening, obviously. And 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 you can show productivity increases as an individual contributor. Absolutely, you can. Projects that you're on or or teams that you lead or what have you. So, so there are some of the examples that are management examples, and there are some that are individual contributor examples.
0: Good. Okay. So let's talk about the document that we haven't spent enough time talking about, which is the career management document. And I know we've talked about this before, and- we're sorry, we're going to repeat ourselves a little bit here, but there are a few things that bear repeating, and this is one of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some things, uh, sometimes the things that go without saying need to be said out loud. Look, we, we, like I said earlier, we didn't make this point clear enough when we first did the, the resume cast, and so we're, we've basically doomed ourselves to repeating it over and over again. This is a, this is a core skill. The, the, the career management document is absolutely a core skill. And basically, the idea behind a career management document is this. The resume, a resume is a part of our career. It is the document we share with other people. But our resume itself essentially comes from our entire background, which is of course which can't be distilled to one page and and the way we Capture our entire background more fully is from what amounts to a longer resume, quote unquote, or we can call it resume prime if you want, uh, which is not what we send out, uh, and we call it the career management document. It's longer, but it, because it includes every job we've done in full detail. It includes in most cases more accomplishments than the resume we forward or share. Or put differently, it includes more accomplishments than our resume because it's a different document. Your career management document might be four pages long. Someone once told me, Mark, the way I think about my career management document is this. When I got out of my first job, that was when that job's set of responsibilities and accomplishments were the longest. I had done the most and I remembered them all and that will that document when I once I finish my first job that will go on my career management document when I start my second job my second job is very weak i don't have a lot of uh, accomplishments i only have responsibilities when i end my second job i will now have the ending of my first job and the ending of my second job all that i know about both jobs will now be on the career management document 10 15 years later all of that won't be on the on my resume, but it will still be on the career management document to remind me of skills, traits, abilities, and characteristics that I've had and used and shown to be successful with in the past. Now, we, we don't necessarily feel that the the uh, uh the career management document will necessarily have a lot more detail in the responsibilities paragraphs, at least for our most recent jobs. But it will have more detail in responsibilities uh, paragraphs for jobs that are 10-plus years ago because we begin to cut words and sentences out of those job responsibilities paragraphs for 10 years ago or longer simply for space because those jobs are much less likely to be relevant to our current job search than our most recent three or four or five jobs.
0: Yeah. And if you're wondering why you want all that information, just stay tuned. Just stay with us a little bit longer. It'll become perfectly clear.
1: Yeah, yeah, I will. So, yeah. okay. So so it's longer. It's three or four pages in some cases. In the beginning, in the first year or two of your career, it's probably just your resume. I mean, your career document, management document is your resume because you want to put everything on there. But after three or four years, you're going to have enough that you're going to start feeling like you're going to go to two pages your career management document, when your resume goes to two pages, that document becomes your, what, what used to be your resume is now your career management document. You can fill that up with all kinds of stuff, but you only send out a one-page resume, which means you have to cull some stuff out of it for every one of the jobs that you're going to uh, apply for. All
0: right, And that's the key. We'll get Again, we'll get to that in a second. Now, one of the things about the career management document is we actually suggest whether you're looking for a job or not. That you schedule on your calendar thirty minutes every quarter to review it and update it with any new items that may a new job.
1: Mike, my you you can't recommend that. I thirty minutes once a quarter. I'm a busy person. Yeah. Well we'll skip Really? One thirty minutes? Break. Is that what you're telling me? Once a quarter? You're saying I have to set aside thirty minutes once every three minutes or three months. So in other words, what you're doing is you're asking me to accrue ten minutes a month?
0: Yeah, I, I, is, that I what am, is that what I just saying? want to correct you, though. You don't have to do it. You only have oh. to do it if you want <laughs> to be more effective in your
1: career. But. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, let, Let's say this a little bit differently because some people do, you know, let's explain the background of this. We recommend that you keep track of your career successes and your job and company changes on a core document we're calling the career management document. And as I've said before, if you don't have one now, that's fine. The resume you have today is your starting point. And at this moment right now, your resume is your career management document. Clearly, it got you the interview you needed to get you the job you're in now, so apparently it's been fine up until now. It's probably not very good. We did a cast called Your Resume Stinks, Um, and that's okay. We respect that. There are things Mike and I don't do very well. On the other hand, there's nothing wrong with going back after listening to this cast and saying, you know, I think I could probably remember a few things from my background that would be helpful to go on this career management document, even if I wouldn't put them on my resume at this time.
0: And the great thing about this is that you never know when you're going to remember some great accomplishment you had or some skill, trait, characteristic, whatever. That it can hit you in the in the middle of the morning or just as you get up. And, and now you have a document you can go to and capture it. So when you do create your resume, you don't forget about that great accomplishment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what we're recommending here is that once a quarter, every three months, we set a recurring meeting on our calendar, we sit down for 30 minutes, and we add new responsibilities new accomplishments, and any new education that has occurred in the last three months, and anything we might have remembered before that as well, to our CMD, our career management document. Remember, this is just a gigantic resume. It's not rocket science. We don't have a new set of rules for the CMD. It's just a really long resume with more data than you can ever use. We go back through our calendar. We go back through our email, our one-on-one forms and one of my favorites, the raw material we use in preparing for our own annual performance review with our boss. And we capture those new items into our career management document. Again, our career management document, it looks just like the resume, only it's too long. <laughs> as Wendy says, um, your, when she when she gets a four-page resume, the, one of the first things she sends out as guidance on resume reviews is, your resume is too long. <laughs> right. So, I, so
0: we got to reiterate here, your resume and your career management document are two different documents entirely. The resume we share with folks, however, is created
1: from the career management document. Yeah. And if you don't have a CMD now, your resume, you make a copy of it, and one of them becomes your CMD, and one of them is your resume. But hopefully, you'll realize that your resume really just becomes your CMD. You eliminate the fact that you have a resume. And when an opportunity comes up and you need one, you look at your CMD, which is formatted correctly and so on. If it's a little bit long, you cut a couple of things out. And there you have your resume. The resume is an on-demand creation. The CMD is a constantly updated database of information that you're going to use to create a resume on demand. Right. And, and look, um, you and I admit it. We, we've done it ourselves, right? We're really bad at going back and reconstructing what we've done, when we've done it, and how well we've done something. And what's funny about this, what ends up happening is the weakest job on a lot of resumes that we see in terms of how much value we get for it when or how much value the candidate gets from their from their job is the most recent one if we haven't been in it for a year.
0: How can that possibly be? I mean- I can imagine where if I had a job 10 years ago, I might have a great accomplishment, and I can't remember it. So I can see leaving that off. You leaving it why, off, right. Why would our most recent job, where we have our most recent memories, be the worst thing on the
1: resume, the worst example on a resume? I, I couldn't figure it out for a while until I, started, until I invented the CMD, and it's simple. What happens is folks don't have a CMD, meaning our, our resume is not up to date, and then either because of a good opportunity – which is thrust upon us or a bad career event at work, we need to send our resume somewhere and we create our resume in a rush without doing the research and background on the last three months, six months, year, two years. We don't fully capture all the value we deliver during that time and yet we feel like our heart is beating fast either for fear of the job loss we're facing or the coolness of the job we might miss unless we deliver a resume quickly. And so, stuff that we did over a year ago simply gets lost. People can remember back about a year, but two years ago, uh, no way. Right. So, the idea is if we have a CMD that has been updated once a quarter, and look, it's 30 minutes. It's a short bite size increment. We can do something that we want to do, but we almost always fail to do, which is to create both a fast and an accurate resume. Right? I mean, think about it. There are plenty of fast resumes we see. And and usually they're weak or they have errors, which essentially kills them. And there are accurate resumes, but all too often they take weeks to get ready, or they're essentially old because we're getting something that was sent out a year or two ago and it was called over then. And if it takes weeks to get ready, you're missing out on opportunities. And uh, here's something we've never really said before, but when you think about it and what we just said, it's obvious. Fast and accurate improves the persuasiveness, essentially the effectiveness of a resume. You can have one or the other and you might get lucky. Both is when you start getting a really effective resume.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Here's a point that's going to surprise some folks, I think. Yeah. This is one of those uh, those pieces of our recommendations that is often not followed. We could and should create different resumes for different jobs.
1: Yeah. You know, I think we've hinted around this a bunch, but we've never really said it forcefully. The concept of multiple resumes for one person is really, it's probably a fairly modern idea, you know, the last 10, 15 years. And and basically what we're saying here is we urge everyone listening to consider the value of sharing different resumes for different positions. No, please. Now, we're not suggesting 18 positions, 18 different resumes. But, but if there's a, di- is there, if there's a bifurcation, if there's a divergence between the two types of jobs you're interviewing for and you have three interviews in technology and two interviews in management, you should have it. We recommend two different resumes, one for the management jobs and one for the technical jobs. And basically, the CMD, the career management document, has everything on it. It has both technical and managerial and anything else as well. All the different facets of your abilities and your skills and your traits and characteristics and of your job, because most jobs are more than one dimensional. And and that combined, the CMD combined with regular updates, allow you to do that effectively.
0: You know, in challenging times, for example, managers often will take a step back. I may not take a step back, but they're, 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 taking, they're taking a different career path, particularly if they're a technical yeah. manager. They may step back and take an individual contributor role. And In that case, if they have a resume that they've been using for the last three years that has been designed to highlight all their management skills and characteristics, and now they, they're going to interview for an individual contributor,
1: say a programmer position,
0: and the resume speaks to being a manager, It's not going to be terribly effective.
1: Yep. It's the same thing, If even if you're not taking a step back, if you're taking a step forward. If you're thinking about leaving company A as a technical manager, and you've got good, solid technical experience, and you've managed a team for three years, those are two separate skill sets that are valuable in different places. But maybe you don't know whether you want to stay in management in your next role, or maybe a startup company doesn't really want you as a manager. They want you to be CTOs, chief technology officer. You'd only have one direct in this job, and so managerial experience isn't nearly as important to the CEO founder guy who who is running it and whom you've known for years. You're going to be more responsible for leading the organization with technical ideas rather than managing a team. And look, you also have a couple of other opportunities through your network with more established firms who really like your technical background, but frankly expect you to be a manager with a bigger budget and more people. Maybe even pretty soon becoming a director, they provide the dangle and say, yeah, spend six months, we'll promote you to director. Yeah, yeah, okay. And really what it boils down to is, is in much the same way as your example, right? Why would you send the same resume to two different options? Essentially, having one resume in this situation could rule you out of two interview opportunities, both of which you're totally qualified for, right? You've got the technical chops and you've got the managerial experience. So. How do we do this? Yeah. Tell me. Yeah, with a CMD, it's way easy. We look at each job we're interested in and we'd use those accomplishment bullets from our CMD that highlight the skills we think are of most interest to those people who are going to be looking at a resume, right? We analyze the job description and say, what do I think they want? And what have I done that proves that I've done what they want to me to have done? right? For the CTO job, you'd look for technical accomplishments. You'd probably look for project successes and maybe technical ideas that were successfully implemented. And maybe if they had ROI, even better, we'd probably include some managerial success. It's not an either or situation. It's probably 70-30 and 30-70. In other words, for the managerial jobs, it'd be 70% managerial and 30% technical. And for the CTO job, it'd be 70% technical and 30% managerial, right? It's not 100% and zero or zero and 100 whereas for the managerial job we'd choose accomplishment bullets that highlight our managerial abilities budget management project success and people development and again like i said we wouldn't leave out the the technical accomplishments we'd include we'd include some technical accomplishments because we're not one dimensional right but here
0: here is this is where a lot of folks i think miss the boat and argue with us about the idea of a one page resume what they think is i have to be prepared for any potential position that I might want to interview for so therefore I need to throw everything to include the yeah. kitchen sink into my resume it is three pages is not designed specifically for any one particular type of job and therefore it's ineffective across a broad spectrum of yeah. jobs
1: yeah and 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 companies are going to be picky in a downturn. Which is, which is what the second part of this cast is about, right? About downturns, what we need to do on resumes to make them more appealing during a downturn. And, and, and if you're trying to cover the, the, the waterfront, you're not going to be able to go deep in any one area. Don't be afraid of being told you're not right if they have an accurate understanding of who you are, right? That's horseman's wager. People try to be the wrong thing and then wonder why. Gee, I wish I'd have been myself. I might've gotten the job. Yeah, that's painful. Let's not do that. If we only had the managerial resume and the CTO job came up, what most of us would do is send along the same resume and then regret that we didn't have more technical accomplishments on it. A few of us would probably attempt to modify the managerial resume and we'd probably make some poor choices based on vague recollections and perhaps inadvertently overstating our success maybe a little bit. Uh, and perhaps also creating a situation which is very deadly where we're asked detailed questions about an accomplishment that we really haven't had time to develop a detailed accomplishment answer for. Bad mojo there. In this case, this is,
0: in my mind, the key point. You have a career management document and customize your resume for the particular position that you're interviewing for, you're going to be much more effective. Yep. But today, in today's environment, if you want to be effective... You
1: got to talk about cost. And to do that, you need to show how you cut cost. Yeah, and, and people don't. I'm, I'm getting resumes, and they, they have no indication of that. And they're saying, well, Mark, I'm reading that companies really want problem solvers. And, you know, that companies aren't stupid. They really still want A players, and A players don't just cut costs. They also have great ideas, home run ideas that they shepherd through the politics and make it happen and wrestle with the powers that be and the sticks in the mud and the no-nos and so on. Don't kid yourself, folks. Yeah, companies want that. And hopefully they get it. Those people who get those opportunities also have uh, done well cutting costs. Or if they haven't, they have hit seriously big home runs and they're going to get hired no matter what. And for the vast majority of people we're talking to, your resume makes a difference. Those people who have hit home runs repeatedly probably are well-known in the industry and they're being paid a premium for what they do. It's pretty rare. In fact, I know a lot of people who think, a few of my friends are home run hitters when in fact they're not. They're just really, really good at their network and they really, really know a lot of people and they interview. They have great resumes and they interview brilliantly and then they deliver. So it's important to have a resume that is reflective of the fears and the interests of hiring companies. And the biggest fear of hiring companies right now is managers who love to spend money, who don't know how to cut costs, manage budgets and develop people. And you know, Find any accomplishments you have that show that you cut costs. And when we try to review two to three years later, something we did two or three years before, cutting costs is something that tends not to be remembered because it's painful and you just want it to go away and then you want to get back to hitting home runs or delivering revenue or whatever it might be. A lot of times we know we did it, we know it was painful, but we don't really have any details. That's where the quarterly review comes in.
0: Right. Let me add one thing cuz you you mentioned that you know we've got to address the needs and interests of the organizations with whom we're interviewing and the fact is even if you're not a manager if you don't have control over budgets and you can't necessarily cut costs what folks want to know what hiring companies want to know is that you can be part of an organization that is cutting cost and be supportive of it and be effective in that yep. kind of organization during those kind of times. And so yep. even if you're not cutting costs, the fact that you can be
1: productive while cutting costs is a huge plus. Yep. As we said many times, I think we did earlier in this cast, email, performance reviews, one-on-one documents, other documents you might have are great for finding the raw data. And here, look, here's some examples no matter how big your team is, or whether you're an individual or a director or a vice president, you could say reduce travel expenses by, 30, reduce travel expenses 32% by changing airfare and hotel standards and increasing in-house delivery use. Okay. Reduced feedstock costs by 1.5% by asking for short-term reductions from a long-term supplier. People are amazed when they say, look, we need some help. And the supplier says, okay, we can cut costs by 1%. Well, it's 1%. It's better than nothing. Third one, reduce labor cost versus payroll 5% by delaying hiring of new analysts six months following a promotion, right? You just don't fill your opening. And you look to the team and say, we're not going to fill it for six months. And the company says six months worth of salary. And, and when people complain, you could say, okay, yes. And that's a classic downturn phrase, by the way. Yes, you're right. Your work's going to get harder. And everybody's got to pitch in a little bit. And this is how we're pitching in.
0: Those don't sound like very big reductions. I mean, three to 5%. I mean, are those valuable enough to put on a resume? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, look, 30% is better, right? The problem is everybody has in their mind 25 or 30%. They don't see how they can get there and they quit. It's absolutely valuable enough. If you don't have anything because you were shooting for 30 and didn't get it or didn't think you could get 30 and so didn't try, someone's going to say to you, gee, is this guy aware that we're being very careful financially right now? Maybe he didn't have to cut costs over there, but he will here. I wonder if he can do it well. And you can bet to get one or two questions about that in an interview. And if you haven't done it, it's going to show on your resume in an interview. So sure, 3 to 5% is great. If every CEO knew that every employee in the company could, would automatically, this year, cut costs by 3% on their own, no CEO would do any laughs at all.
0: Yeah, a 3% uh, improvement at the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, we just that? go
1: right to the bottom line. <laughs> Shoot. Yeah, we don't need yeah. to do let's just yeah. cut 3%. Yeah, and even if it's small, it's
0: still, again, it's showing that you have a, a, an understanding that costs are important and then you're doing something about it. All right, and, and those of you who manage budget then have to show that you've managed your budget professionally. You know, Closely related to cutting costs is managing our budget professionally right? and spending less than our budget, whether it be on – Donuts or fruit is always a choice available to us.
1: You know, you know, let me, let me say something about this. We get calls from clients every year, government and non-government who say, if we don't spend the money on training, we're going to lose it. And and besides the fact that we believe we deliver exceptional value at our prices for corporate engagements, I'm stunned that people would motivate us by saying, yeah, this money is, you know, it's really worth nothing to us if we don't spend it because they're going to take it away. But if you want it, I guess maybe we could get some value out of your training. But then the idea, I wonder if they say that to their VP, hey, look, we knew we were going to lose this money, so we went ahead and spend it. You got to think the VP would think that they were making, they might have made a poor choice about what the value proposition was, about this money that would be worth zero the moment they didn't spend it. Yeah. So spending less than your budget is a choice available to us. I, I know that some people would say politically, I don't want to do that because then they're going to think, okay, I'll, your your budget will be lower for next year there are worse things that could happen to you. I've read, I still have somewhere, an email sent by a senior executive. And when I say senior, I mean the singular most senior executive at a gigantic firm whose name was in the paper every day for years at a bank. And um, he sent an an email out to the managers and executives at a bank and said, hey, listen, basically the, the long and short of the email was this, hey, we got everybody's budgets in and based on your projections, we're scheduled to lose $5 billion next year we meant it, folks, when we said we're cutting two. We're going to cut two to three, to, two to three percent to stay profitable. Please redo your budget immediately and meet the three percent cutback level, <laughs> right? And basically, all these managers and executives have said, "Well, he said three percent, but we're we really everybody's supposed to cut three percent, but we're so valuable, we're going to raise ours by five percent."
0: Yeah, I, I've never been in a position where I, I was getting ready to lose $5 billion. My organization wasn't that large, but I have been in the position where I've had to cut costs. And you go to your, you go to your folks and say, look, we need to cut 5%. And four out of the five people come back. And not only did they, did they not cut? Yeah. They they added.
1: They added. It's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't do it. I've only got a 7% increase. What? 7%. Well, that's good. That's bigger than five. Well, no, it's an increase. Well, I was going to increase by 12%. So. Yeah, so I cut the five. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like the federal government, right? Um, yeah, folks, you're not different. <laughs> yeah, you're not different. What's the first rule of the, of the army? You're, you're not Superman, right? During a downturn, you have to stay within your budget. Come in under your budget. Shoot for one or 2%, even if you're not getting guidance, and beat your budget. Delay hiring somebody to save labor costs. And by the way, that might help with productivity, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Cut costs in one or two or three areas this quarter or in your last quarter before you're in. If you have three quarters left, if you're just finished the first quarter, let's say you're, you're just finishing the second quarter of your company. You have two quarters left. Pick two areas to focus on this quarter and get them driven down. And then hold them down, because holding them down is much easier than driving them down. And then in the last quarter, pick two other areas to drive those costs down as well, rather than trying to do seven all at once. And look, if you're asked to cut, don't just do the work to meet your boss's request for 3% cuts. Also figure out how to get to 5% if you need to while either meeting all your commitments or if you need to, say, look, you asked for three. Here's the three. I just got to tell you off the record, I can get to five, but you're going to have to make some choices between some commitments we've got. And here's my recommendation for what commitments I think will have the lowest ROI, so which would come out first. And if we get rid of these commitments, we can actually meet 5%. And that allows your boss to do some simple cost-benefit analyses. Many managers will tell you, no, 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 Horsemans wrong. Ozan's wrong. What you should be doing is you should be angling for your boss to get as small a cut as possible. There's nothing wrong with, with asking for certain areas that you protecting it and saying, I really think this is where I'm providing the most value. Don't cut me here. But if everybody says, well, he asked for three, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that I only have to cut one, then pretty soon the entire company will just cut one and then there'll be big layoffs and somebody at a much higher level than us will be making the decision and you will lose control of your budget because someone else will be deciding. Hmm. Okay. Examples. Reduced headcount by 10% by not replacing internal transfer. Achieved 3.5% annual budget savings by changing staffing algorithms. That's actually not that hard if you've got shift work. Reduced annual budget for expendables by 26% by changing vendors without a quality decline. Look, new vendors are always willing, almost always willing to, to look at price. And yeah, people would say, well, I've got a long-term relationship with the vendor. Uh, okay, fine. Get a quote from a new vendor and then say, look, times are tough. I'm getting ready to go to this with a guy, but I love your service. I love our relationship. Can you meet it? Well, no, I can't meet it, but I, but the 25%, I can give you 20% of that. Okay, (laughs) fine. I'll put that on my resume.
0: Yeah. Good. Now, our our last area that you need to address is one that just almost everybody misses this, but yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so cutting costs is not enough. You
1: also need to show productivity improvements. Yep. You're right. Almost everybody misses it. You and I have talked about this before. Um, It'd be easier for for me right now if you said the next thing, but I'll go ahead and say it since... I'm, I always get in trouble. Uh, it, this is particularly <laughs> true. Yeah. You, you left that bullet for me, didn't you? I, I was <laughs> going to per- say I got too many, uh, too yeah. many old friends listening to this. You have too many old friends who say, no, Mike, you can't, you can't let the cat out of the bag. Um, it's, per- this is particularly true. The lack of, pr- the, the lack of an interest in productivity improvements or the lack of vision about productivity improvements is particularly true in IT and software organizations. And, and I'm not saying that managers are, are, not knowledgeable. There's just a pervasive sense among those organizations that, that coding and testing design, the actual job activities of IT and software organizations are mechanistic. And it basically boils down to adding up hours of work per module. I know that a module on a DB2 on this mainframe, uh, with this quality standard, uh, with a, with a, this kind of uh six sigma situation we've got going here on a revenue critical thing takes you know 9.9 hours and he, we just do the math and that's not the way the world is what effective it and software managers go i know it's 9.9 i'd like you to get it done an 8.5 and when the people when, when your people say well that 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 affects quality well no it doesn't if in fact the code you write in that time doesn't break and you just need to figure out how to make it in less time. Well, I'm really stressed about that. Okay, thanks. Now, please don't get me wrong. There are people right now listening, individual contributors who say, gosh, I hate those marketing people. They, they you know, nothing's impossible for the person who doesn't have to do it himself. And yet, repeatedly, over and over again in my life, I have seen people, when the stuff hit the fan, hits the fan, gets stuff done in half the time with more pride and more quality. And this is one of those times. In a downturn, we have to step up. If you do the same amount of work this week that you did last week, and you do it with less people, You've just improved productivity because productivity grossly is uh, the amount of work you get done divided by the amount of people it takes to get it done or the amount of hours put into it. And productivity measurement is one of the great weaknesses of most of us as managers. We don't measure it. We think it's some macroeconomic number. It's not. That macroeconomic number comes from every individual in your company's work getting added up in the form of revenue creation and cost creation. And it really... Professional managers, really, we're all obligated to improve productivity routinely, regularly, simply because the first time you do something, it's hard. The second time, it's easier. The third time, it's easier. And the hundredth time, it's a little bit easier. And the hundred and first time, it's even a little bit easier after that. And if somebody says, well, I've kind of plateaued, say, okay, it's time to crack it up a notch. And you're going to have to do, instead of doing a hundred in an hour, you're going to have to do 105. Ooh, that stresses me out. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's see if we can't figure out a better way to do it so that you're not stressed out, but we're still going to have to do 105. That's a 5% improvement. That's not trivial. It doesn't take that much for most managers to either use corporate-sponsored measures or to use proxies of our own making to show an improvement.
0: Yeah, we, we need over to a show
1: a about that sometime in the future because I think the idea of proxies
0: is something we need to talk uh, yeah. a little bit about because you don't have to make measurement harder than it needs yes. to be. And proxies can often be perfectly acceptable as a way of showing improvement. The fact that it's not precise doesn't mean it's not good.
1: Baseball hasn't changed a great deal, other than perhaps steroids, in the last 100 years. And yet, for a long time, batting average is what everybody talked about. But now, sabermetricians have a number of different things. And really, the, the, the primary offensive statistic, I believe, is OPS on-base plus slugging percentage, I think. Regardless of what it is, it's different. It's changed. And and each of those is a proxy for whether or not you win the game. The only non-proxy in baseball is wins and losses. And you're right. And we do have a cast. We we talked about measurement and then we, we told the story of John the gate guard, right? And, and that's an example of proxies. Smiling and opening the gate on time are proxies for Uh, Sensitive security, which is security that makes people safe, but also is not so detrimental that it makes them safe and miserable. So in other words, we're going to smile at them while we're making them safe. So uh, I've got three examples here. Improved productivity by 31% without capital expenses by rerouting process flows. I guarantee that's one that'll get a question in an interview. Improved productivity by 11% with quality improvements from retraining. Maintain productivity standards above 94% while division dipped below 80% in recession. Those are all examples. Now, now again, you may not have those numbers, but you can create your own. And as long as they withstand the test of a couple other managers looking at them, you're probably fine. Overall, looking at all of this stuff, looking at cutting costs and including those bullets on your resume, if your resume goes out in the latter half of 2009 and, and early 2010, And probably even a little bit longer than that, cost cutting, professional budget, meeting your budget responsibilities and beating them, and also showing productivity increases. None of this is hard, is complex. If we take the time to capture our work as we go and then make adjustments from our career management document to our resume, because now we have better and more raw data, which we can repurpose easily and create a resume that works, which gets us an interview. And then all we have to do is be good in the interview. But that's a whole nother story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you can do this, you're well ahead of the game. Yep. Yep. So your resume is a living career management document, folks. So update it regularly. And we've shared with you how to do that. Put on your resume that you've cut costs, that you've managed your budget uh, effectively and professionally, and show productivity increases. And those are the kind of things that sing to recruiters in a downturn. Excellent.
0: All right, my friend. Thanks, partner. That's it, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you all again next week. Have a great one. So long.